It did not matter what they might be. Over they went, slap, bang. Whether they contained china or woolen goods, they met with the same treatment. I saw one case holding four dozen of champagne smashed all to bits, and there was the champagne fizzing and boiling about in the bottom of the dirty cargo boat. It was a wicked waste, and evidently so the Kaffirs in the boat thought, for they found a couple of unbroken bottles and, knocking off the necks, drank the contents. But they had not allowed for the expansion caused by the fizz in the wine, and, feeling themselves swelling, rolled about in the bottom of the boat, calling out that the good liquor was tagati, that is, bewitched. I spoke to them from the vessel, and told them that it was the white man's strongest medicine, and that they were as good as dead men. Those Kaffirs went to the shore in a very great fright, and I do not think that they will touch champagne again. Well, all the time that we were steaming up to Natal, I was thinking over Sir Henry Curtis's offer. We did not speak any more on the subject for a day or two, though I told them many hunting yarns, all true ones. There's no need to tell lies about hunting, for so many curious things happen within the knowledge of a man whose business it is to hunt. But this is by the way. At last, one beautiful evening in January, which is our hottest month, we steamed past the coast of Natal, expecting to make Durban Point by sunset. It is a lovely coast, all along from the East London, with its red sand hills and wide sweeps of vivid green, dotted here and there with Kaffir kraals, and bordered by a ribbon of white surf, which spouts up in pillars of foam where it hits the rocks. But just before you come to Durban, there is a peculiar richness about the landscape. There are the sheer kloofs cut into the hills by the rushing rains of centuries, down which the rivers sparkle. There is the deepest green of the bush, growing as God planted it, and the other greens of the mealy gardens and the sugar patches, while now and again a white house, smiling out at the placid sea, puts a finish and gives an air of homeliness to the scene. For to my mind, however beautiful of you may be, it requires the presence of man to make it complete. But perhaps that's because I have lived so much in the wilderness, and therefore know the value of civilization, though to be sure it drives away the game. The Garden of Eden no doubt looked fair before man was, but I always think that it must have been fairer when Eve adorned it. To return, we had miscalculated a little, and the sun was well down before we dropped anchor off the point, and heard the gun which told the good folks of Durban that the English mail was in. It was too late to think of getting over the bar that night, so we went comfortably to dinner after seeing the mails carried off in the lifeboat. When we came up again, the moon was out, and shining so brightly over the sea and shore that she almost paled the quick, large flashes from the lighthouse, from the shore floated sweet spicy odours that always remind me of hymns and missionaries, and in the windows of the houses on the bearer sparkled a hundred lights. From a large brig lying near also came the music of the sailors as they worked at getting the anchor up in order to be ready for the wind. Altogether it was a perfect night, such a night as you sometimes get in southern Africa, and it threw a garment of peace over everybody as the moon threw a garment of silver over everything. Even the great bulldog, belonging to a sporting passenger, seemed to yield to its gentle influences, and forgetting his yearning to come to close quarters with a baboon in a cage on the forecastle, snored happily at the door of the cabin, dreaming no doubt that he had finished him and happy in his dream. 
We three, that is Sir Henry Curtis, Captain Good and myself, went and sat by the wheel and were quiet for a while. Well, Mr. Quatermain, said Sir Henry presently, have you been thinking about my proposals? Aye, echoed Captain Good. What do you think of them, Mr. Quatermain? I hope that you're going to give us the pleasure of your company so far as Solomon's Mines, or wherever the gentleman you knew as Neville may have got to. I rose and knocked out my pipe before I answered. I had not made up my mind and wanted an additional moment to decide. Before the burning tobacco had fallen into the sea, I had decided. Just that little extra second did the trick. It is often the way when you've been bothering a long time over such a thing.' 